Our Lord, we confess before you that there are many other things that we think of as worthy. But when we step back and look at this world and the brokenness of our own lives, we know for sure, sure that you alone are worthy. Lord, as we enter into this summer season, I pray your blessing upon God's people here at Cottage Church. I pray, Lord, that today your word would inspire them to live lives of devotion to you as fully worthy. I pray it would be a great joy and pleasure. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would come and move among us to comfort and encourage, convict and strengthen as we come now to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, friends, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And I'm going to read for us, uh, beginning at verse 1. John chapter 12, and beginning at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was meant that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Stories are like the air we breathe. We all tell ourselves stories, stories about who we are, where we came from, what we're going to do with our lives. In many ways, it is our atmosphere as people. We're constantly listening to stories, telling stories. Our lives we interpret through the means of a of a story, 
what happened to us at a certain place, what's going to happen to us in the future. We are actors in the drama of our own lives. We tell stories. We're people of story. And this story we're looking at this morning, this story of pure nard, has a particular power because of its aroma. There's a gospel aroma to this story. A sense, a smell can transport you back to your mother's kitchen, to your home where you grew up, or to a particular friend. And this story of pure nard fills the house with the fragrance of a life devoted to Jesus. So listen this morning, breathe in this story of pure nard. Let it be the story of your life. Listen to what it means and then how it applies to your life. The story takes place in a village called Bethany, less than two miles east of Jerusalem, a community center for the poor. Simon the leper's house was there. And here Lazarus was cared for when he was ill before he died, before Jesus rose him again from the dead. According to one ancient manuscript, there were three places for taking care of the sick, including one for lepers, all just to this east side of Jerusalem. And Bethany was on the pilgrim way to Jerusalem, outside the richly clean radius around Jerusalem into which nothing unclean should enter. And it may have been a center then for caring for unwell unwell pilgrims on their way to uh, the temple. Indeed, the name Bethany itself probably meant house of misery or poorhouse. And at Bethany, Jesus is at dinner with his friends, Martha, Mary, Lazarus. Lazarus doesn't say a thing. He, he, he gives silent witness to the power of Jesus to raise people from the dead as he sits there and reclines at tables. He eats food. He's a silent witness to the power of Jesus just by being there. And outside there's a crowd of people peering in to see this happy small group of friends with Lazarus there. It's now six days before the Passover. It's a timestamp that John very carefully gives to the story to tell us that the days are rapidly passing until comes the glory of Jesus at the cross, at Passover. And this dinner has been given in Jesus' honor, and then Mary does the most extraordinary thing. She takes a, a, a pint, uh, about half a liter or a pound of pure Nard, an expensive perfume. Nard came from high up the Himalayan mountains. Uh, The roots of the plant were crushed to create what we think of as an essential oil. And it was used for medicine, perfume, and anointing and celebration. Oil in the Bible is often a symbol of the work of the Spirit or of grace. Jonathan Edwards put it like this. It's a type of true grace and divine love flowing out of the heart of the true believer towards Jesus Christ. 
It's a huge quantity of pure nard, and it would have cost about a year's worth of wages, a year's salary. Mary takes the nard, perhaps a gift to her from her parents as her inheritance or even her dowry for her wedding day. She breaks open the bottle in which it was contained and she pours the contents of the bottle down from Jesus' head all the way to his feet. The the other gospels in this story, they focus on the anointing of the head of Jesus. Here in John's gospel, it's focused on Jesus' feet because John here is emphasizing the sacrificial and serving nature of Jesus. If you read on in John's gospel, soon enough you'll meet Jesus himself washing his disciples' feet to emphasize the same serving theme. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He's come that you may have life, and life to the full, this theme we've been looking at in John's gospel. And having poured the nard on Jesus, even to his feet, Mary then lets down her hair and wipes the oil into those feet of Jesus. Something that uh, because in ancient times it was not unusual when a master's hands got sticky from eating food at a meal to clean his hands on the hair, the head of a passing servant. This act of wiping Jesus with her feet symbolizes Mary's serving attitude to Jesus, even her hair. In all cultures, the hair of a woman is precious. And in ancient cultures, women would not let down their hair except in moments of intimacy, or at least the privacy of their home. It's possible Jesus' feet may have already been washed, or they may still have been filthy from the dung of the streets of Bethany. Either way, this was an act of honor to Jesus. Worthy is Jesus. Worthy is Jesus. And then Judas says no. He objects. In Bethany, this center of caring for the poor, Judas argues the nard should have been sold so the money should have been given to the poor. But John tells us that Judas was a thief. He only wanted the money to satisfy his greed. And Jesus tells Judas to leave Mary alone. He protects Mary and honors Mary. He models how we today must treat women with dignity and respect. It's a lesson that some authorities today need to learn again. He protects Mary from an abusive man. Jesus says that what she has done is a pre-preparation of his body for burial. This is almost shocking. Anointing uh, was usually a mark of festivity, celebration, a party. So much so that Jesus elsewhere tells his disciples to anoint their heads with oil when they're fasting in order to hide the fact that they're fasting by doing something celebratory. it's, It's... Party balloons and streamers, they're more associated with anointing than a burial in a grave. Burials on all their minds. Lazarus was recently buried. Jesus had just received officially sanctioned death threats from the Sanhedrin. And Jesus saying that by anointing him 
Mary is unknowingly pointing to the victory and glory of Jesus at his death, burial, and resurrection. She will later also go with the other women to anoint his body after he is dead. The other Gospels tell us that what Mary did here will never be forgotten and always part of the preaching of the Gospel of Jesus. By the time John was written, indeed, the fame of Mary's action had already spread. Earlier in chapter 11, John introduces Mary as the one who poured perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. He introduces her that way, assuming everyone already knew who this Mary was. That's the Mary, the Mary who let down her hair and anointed Jesus and wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. It's that Mary. You've all heard about it in fulfillment of Jesus' prediction that this act will be preached as remembrance of what she had done. And so Jesus, being honored at Bethany where he raised Lazarus from the dead, is at dinner with his friends, surrounded by crowds of people believing in him because of what he did, raising Lazarus from the dead. And then as a symbol of the greater death and resurrection to come, that of Jesus himself, Mary cracks open the most expensive perfume she had or anyone else had, pours out a whole year's salary. And the aroma of that beautiful gift to Jesus fills the whole house and indeed spreads its aroma around the houses of the world and the church to this day. Some say this story of pure nard means we should not care for the poor. But this cannot be the case. Elsewhere, the Bible tells us the early church is a place where there were no poor among them as they sought to care for the poor. Some say it teaches us that the worship of God is to have aromatic qualities, perfume, and to use incense. But they're at dinner, not at a worship service. Some say this is teaching us of the value of Jesus. But while this story does show us Jesus' value, it cannot just mean that because Jesus is far more valuable than a year's salary. Far more. Now, the meaning of this text is actually interpreted for us by Jesus himself in verse 7. What Jesus says is translated variously as that she may keep it for the day of my burial or it was meant that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. It's all quite cumbersome and the reason why is because the Greek is difficult to put into English. One scholar called F.F. Bruce paraphrases it like this, let her keep the credit of having performed the last rites for me here and now or To put it more simply, because what Mary did shows that my death is good news for all, what she did will always be remembered. So this story of pure nard means then that acts like Mary's of extravagant devotion that point to Jesus and his death on the cross are beautiful, pleasurable, and will never be forgotten. This attractiveness of a life of extravagant devotion to Jesus can be sensed in three aromatic applications. First, note. 
such extravagant devotion is likely to be resisted as Mary's was by Judas, but that does not make it any the less memorable or pleasurable. Even as I speak to you, you may find there is a voice within that urges you not take what I say too seriously. It's only a sermon. And rhetoric is one thing, but real life is another. You may find that you have friends, even Christian friends, who urge you to not be so devoted to Jesus. Sit back, take life easy, enjoy yourself for a while. Sprinkle a little religion on your life for sure, but don't be extravagantly devoted to Jesus. These objections come in part because some people have used extravagant devotion to Jesus as an excuse for not caring for their family or not maintaining healthy patterns of self-care or being selfish with religious ambition to the wound of other people. But an abuse of a good thing is no reason to miss out on the right use of a good thing. And true extravagant devotion to Jesus means Christ-likeness in private and at home in friendships. My My dear brothers and sisters, do not let the voices inside or outside deter you from giving your life extravagantly to Jesus. Don't let the summer months become a season of warm temptation. No, give this summer to God in extravagant prayer and devotion, telling others about Him so that the sweet aroma of your life will fill your house and your home and your workplace and this city and this world and this church just like Mary's gift has done. Because you see, second, to give your life to Jesus with extravagant devotion is no fool's errand, but actually the most logical, beautiful, and glorious life, pleasurable life, a life of pleasure, true pleasure that you could possibly have in this world. Think about it. What Mary did happened a long time ago, and yet we're still talking about it today. What else are we talking about that happened 2,000 years in the past? Senators and kings, politicians and musicians, generals and scholars have had their works fade into the dust. And yet one young woman who let down her hair and used her dowry to prepare Jesus for the trials of the cross ahead, her deed is preached about, spoken about, and remembered still to this day, and as far as I know will never, never be forgotten. Yes, indeed. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You are no fool for giving your life extravagantly to Jesus. It is foolish not to do so. It is foolish to try to keep that expensive nod for yourself. If Mary had done that, we would never have heard what she did. She might have had a more impressive wedding. She might have been able to use it to make herself perfumed. She might have smelt better in those dusty streets of Bethany but we would not still be talking about it. It is not foolish to live your life for Jesus with extravagant devotion. It is wise. It is the best life you can possibly live to give your best to Jesus. What other life could be so valuable than to give your life to He who is the most valuable person who ever is or was or will be? How much more valuable could your life be than to be given and devoted to Him who is above all value? 
You could not possibly live a better life than to live your life with extravagant devotion to Jesus. It is logical. It is pleasurable. It is most glorious of all possible glories to give your life with extravagant devotion. It will spread a perfume and aroma throughout your home, throughout your work, throughout this church, just like you did with Mary's. For third, this extravagant devotion to Jesus is specifically focused on his death and resurrection, on the work of Jesus on the cross. You see, Mary's devotion was not just generically an act of devotion, but specifically orientated towards Jesus' burial. That word burial in this context is what is called a cynic doke, which means one part taken for a whole, like if you admire your friend's car by saying he has a nice set of wheels, you mean his whole car, not just the wheels. And the day of his burial means the whole message of the cross of Jesus, his death and resurrection, like saying back in the day means a whole period of time, not just 24 hours. And so Mary's act, whether consciously she knew or unknowingly she symbolized, makes no difference. For Jesus underlines the purpose of this act to point to his burial, meaning his death and resurrection. So your devotion to Jesus, if it is to have this memorable and ongoing and fragrant aroma throughout the whole house and impact the whole world, And last, wherever the gospel is preached, that devotion to Jesus is to be focused specifically on the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus emphasizes this when he rebukes Judas for criticizing Mary and does so by saying that the poor you shall always have with you, but you will not always have me with you. He's not saying that taking care of the poor is unworthy or unimportant. He is saying that his burial, his death and resurrection, this moment of preparation for this pinnacle event in the history of the world must take priority. It is a terrible thing to not care for the poor in this world. It is an unimaginably tragic thing to take care of someone's material needs, but for them to suffer for all eternity because we do not share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. The expression of love for the world is, is focused upon that gift, that cross. So our devotion to Jesus is to be specifically and particularly focused on the cross of Jesus. Such is the testimony of all Scripture. This second half of John's Gospel is all now focused on the cross. Each Gospel is structured to point to the cross. Paul says to the Corinthians that he resolved to know nothing among them except Christ and Him crucified. And you see, the reason why this is where we're to focus is because there is no other solution under heaven for the problems of the world and for the problems of the human heart. All other solutions are merely superficial. But the great solution to the fear, to the anger, to the anxiety, to the doubt, to the unforgiveness, to your sin and your shame, all of that lies at the feet of Jesus Christ where Mary anointed with pure nard and those feet that were nailed to the cross. Will you come to him this morning and lay at his feet those crucified feet? 
and look to him for mercy and renewal and new life, just like Mary did with all her brokenness. She lay at her feet and worshipped him there, and it became a beautiful, fragrant offering. There is no other solution that can beat back the devil and all his cohorts other than this cross of Jesus. Are you wrestling with forgiving your wife? She's done something that you, it has just so annoyed you. You're not sure you can forgive her. Look at the cross. He died for you. Do you not realize that he needed to die for you? What do you have to be proud about when you're the one who the Son of God himself had to suffer and die that you might be forgiven? How can you not forgive your wife when you've been forgiven so much? Are you wrestling with sinful habits that you cannot break? Look to the cross. There is forgiveness for your sins so that you might answer the devil with a sure word. The blood of Jesus paid for my sins. Get thee behind me, Satan. And the cross of Jesus is the power for the sanctification that you need to overcome your sins too. As a forgiven sinner, you no longer have anything to hide. You come to Christ in openness and frankness and you ask Him for His help by His Spirit. And bit by bit, moment by moment, day by day, He gives you the power you need to keep on following Him, grow in your Christ-likeness. We here who love Jesus and go to Cottage Church have two things in common. You know what they are? We're all sinners. And we've been saved by a great Savior. What do we have to hide? What do we have to hide? Are you wrestling with doubt? Look to the cross of Jesus. Who can doubt the goodness and love of God when you look at those feet, those crucified feet, when you look at him who is hung dead for you? Doubt his love for you? Think you have sinned too badly that now he will no longer love you? Look to the cross. While you were still sinner, he loved you that much. Think he loves you any the less this week than he did when he was nailed to the cross? Fill up your heart and mind. Focus your eyes. Center all your devotion upon the cross of Jesus. Are you wrestling where to invest your time, your resources, your career, your vocation? Center it all upon Christ and Him crucified. That does not mean you have to become a, a pastoral resident or an, a, a paid employee of a church or to be ordained as a minister. Being ordained is no guarantee by itself that you will center upon the cross. As Charles Spurgeon once remarked, ordination on its own is just empty hands on empty heads. No, no, no. At work. At home. At school. Where you're going to invest your time, your money. Ensure that the number one priority is the cross of Jesus. For at the cross, extravagant devotion will have a forever impact as the kingdom of God is forever. The story of Purnard. I wonder what story you are telling yourself. Are you hero of your story? Are you the victim of your story? 
Studies have been done to show the impact of stories on human behavior. You, you pick a randomized sample of two groups of people and you put them in two separate rooms. You tell one group a sad story about death and dying. You tell the other, story, a po- other group a positive story about life and hope. And then you just time each group as they walk to the elevator afterwards, after they've done the study, after they've heard those two, one negative stories, one positive stories, and studies show the group that was told the sad story walk significantly slower to the elevator than the group that was told the happy story. What story are you telling yourself? Are you the hero of your story? Are you the victim of your story? Such stories have a physical and a spiritual impact, the stories that you hear or tell yourself. Many people tell themselves the story that being devoted to God is merely a matter of duty, of effort. And if they're really going to have pleasure, they've got to break outside the boundaries to live life to the full. Not at all. No, the center point of joy, of pleasure, of beauty, true pleasure, true beauty is in this devotion to Jesus, this story of the fragrance of pure nard. Tell yourself this story that acts like Mary's of extravagant devotion that point to Jesus and his death on the cross are beautiful, pleasurable, and will never be forgotten. That extravagant devotion may well be resisted, but giving your life to Jesus with that extravagant devotion is no fool's errand, but actually the most logical, beautiful, and glorious life that you can possibly have in this world when that extravagant devotion to Jesus is specifically focused on his death and resurrectional work of Jesus on the cross because there is no other solution under heaven to the problems of the human heart. Let this aroma, this This Mary, this story of pure nard, spice up your life. Pungent, fragrant, aromatic. That now you longingly desire the fragrance of a life devoted to Christ. You you long to be as committed as Mary's was, to, to, to pour out your life at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because that is what gives your life this fragrant, beautiful, devoted, joyful, glorious life. You long for that. Sign me up for that opportunity to devote myself to Jesus even more. Sign me up for that chance to give myself to Jesus. For that is what the way I'm going to make my life supremely valuable by centering my life upon He who is above all value. Your acts like Mary's of extravagant devotion that point to Jesus and His death on the cross are beautiful, pleasurable, will never be forgotten. You pray with me. Lord, I pray for the uh, person who feels that what they have done for Jesus has been forgotten. Would you assure that person 
that no cup of cold water in Jesus' name will not go unrewarded. Lord, I pray for the person who longs to extract every experience possible out of this life and thinks that following Jesus sounds less than thrilling, less than pleasurable, less than extraordinary, certainly less than something that's going to never be forgotten. I pray, Lord, by your Spirit, would you help that person to so sense the aroma of this pure nard in this building through your Word, that they will long, that they will pour out their life at the feet of Jesus. Pray for us as a church, Lord, as we head to the summer months. Pray, Lord, you give us grace and the power of your Spirit to be faithful to you. And in such faithfulness to experience life and life to the full. In the name of Jesus, amen.